What's up, everyone? This is episode 129 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Now, I say I have an Instagram. Um, apparently I'm not very good at it still. And I, I thought I was back in Instagram jail this week. For all I know, I, I might be. I might have some sort of soft punishment. Um, every time I try to link my RPA trackers to my profile, Instagram kicks it back. I guess because it, I use a URL shortener and it redirects and that's suspicious to them. Um, so I made this thing called a link tree. I've seen other card content creators use this. And um, one of my friends on IG messaged me and said, oh, uh, you have an OnlyFans now, huh? So, yeah, I don't know what those look like. Uh, maybe they look similar. Um, Instagram was blocking this new link too, so maybe they are close. Uh, bear with me. I'm not sure if I'll ever figure this social media thing out. Uh, I'm just getting old. Old and tired, that is. And uh, that's a good segue into my next talking point. On last week's episode of the podcast, I talked about how exhausted I was from the National. And truth be told, I'm still pretty wore out. But there was a decent-sized card show in my area last weekend, the Bay Area Card Show. And I still wanted to go to that, so, you know, I guess that's a good sign. I'm not completely wore out. Um, I knew I wouldn't be setting up at this one, though. I just wanted to cruise around and talk to people and look at cards And that's exactly what I did. And it seems like every time I go to a show, people will message me and ask about the general vibe, uh, if people were more interested in buying or trading and so on. So I'm just going to try and cover some of that right now. Before I get too far in, just realize I try to talk to some of the dealers to get their perspective on things. But at the end of the day, uh, someone might go to the same exact show and have a completely different experience than me. I am just one collector. Okay, one collector. So um, first off, this show was packed and there were spots on the floor that got kind of tight or I had to wait a little bit to look at a table. Uh, Now, were all of those people buying? Well, that's hard to tell. Um, I I talked to a couple of dealers and they claimed that a lot of people were poking around or trying to get things really cheap, but there wasn't a lot of actual buying going on. Um, It was hard for me to get a good reading on the room. Sometimes this show has a second room in the back. This time everything was packed into one. Um, I did see a few empty tables and a couple of the bigger dealers didn't show up. I know we had the National a couple weeks ago. Um, I I think there was some sort of situation. I saw some drama on IG with somebody associated with this show. I don't know all the details. I haven't kept track of that, so I'm not going to weigh in. Um... All of that is to say, though, there are so many factors and situations weighing on on a show, and, and this show in particular, that it's hard to pick up on a general vibe. One thing I do know for sure, though, like I said earlier, this place was packed, um, it was hard to move around, so even if customers weren't buying, the interest level for cards is still there. Now, as far as what kind of stuff I saw there, it was a lot of the usual shiny stuff. Although there was still a variety. And when I say shiny, I don't always mean that in a negative sense. So I don't mean that negative here. Um, The one thing that really surprised me was the sheer number of CSG slabs at the show. And I've talked about CSG before. I really like the direction the company's headed in. 
It took me a while to get used to the tall labels, but the slabs look really nice in hand. Um, they're crystal clear, and if you turn the label in the light a little, you can see some sort of holographic um, security feature there. So that's pretty cool. But um, there were some tables that were just like um, a sea of CSG slabs, or some tables had whole boxes of just slab after slab, which, you know, we've seen the same thing with PSA. So that that's not uncommon. There's nothing wrong with that. But it was just staggering to see so much of them um, at one time, and all of a sudden... So I figure I can take that to mean several things. Number one, people are ready for a quicker, cheaper alternative to the bigger companies. Or number two, it's a product of them being a Florida company and they're local. Um, truth be told, I think it's likely a combination of the two. Um, and I didn't buy, end up buying, you know, any of those slabs. Um, you know, although I'm not a, I'm not opposed to it, but I did find a few odds and ends that I was very happy to come home with. In order to save time here, though, I'm going to talk about those on my YouTube channel. I think it's better off if I show those on video anyway, but I'll try and post those up on my Instagram as well. Um, now, one thing I didn't see at the show last weekend was a single card from the new National Treasures release, which I want to talk about for a couple moments before I talk about the Malice at the Palace later on. There's been a lot of talk about this product this year, as usual. A lot of people are upset that the Rookie Relics were never worn, um, although I've been talking about that since Absolute, and I've been projecting that NT would be the same and it would be kind of a big deal. If you're a regular listener of this show, you know that move from Panini probably wasn't a big surprise for you. Um, I was a little surprised that they used some hat Logo Man patches for the Logo Man cards. It's bad enough that they can't use something the players wore. Now they refuse to even buy new jerseys off the rack to fill out the rest of their unworn player print run. Um, and I guess we just saw them use leftover unworn Christmas sweaters in some of the select RPAs. I thought they might try a little harder for a product like NT, but... Um, I don't know why I continue to give this company the benefit of the doubt. They can make a quality uh, product or a quality card if they really want to. You'll see that in my mail day segment coming up next. They can make a good product if need be, but right now um, it, it looks like they legitimately don't care. And I know people have talked about the logistics of getting jerseys. Um, they are not going out of their way at, at any length here. It's, it's still ridiculous. I know there are restrictions, but they are not going out of their way at all. I mean, it shows that they're using the Christmas sweaters and the hats instead of just buying new jerseys. They just don't care. Um, now, I saw one of the big breakers is supposedly boycotting the product because it's such a bad value for the price. It, you know, In my mind, they should have probably done that a couple years ago, too. It's usually a sticker dump. Uh, it's a feast or famine hunt for the top RPAs. That hasn't changed. One thing they added this year was that it appears to be kind of a memorabilia dump. So um, for the veteran stuff that's actually game-worn, they're pulling out every old jersey they have in the archives and chopping them up into tiny pieces. Um, a lot of real horrible players, though, and, and even players that are decent. Like I saw a Sabonis jersey card that had part of an Oklahoma City jersey in it. There, there's no need for that at this point. They have plenty of Pacers jerseys. Um Usually there are NBA Finals worn nameplate cards in the product. They're absent from the checklist this year as well. I'm wondering if that means that the Finals booklets and special event materials are gone from subsequent products. 
Um, I know there's the COVID excuse once again, as I mentioned earlier, but the NBA auctioned some of the 2020 final stuff off themselves back in November. So, you know, they could have gone online and, and purchased them like anyone else. Um, and, and at the time, I assume they did. I figured Panini was buying them. Once again, benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, now I'm just cranky. So I'll wrap this segment up. Panini's not going down a good path. This is especially concerning to me because it do- doesn't look like much of anything is going to get in their way. Um, and, and the most, you know, recent National Treasures release is really a disgusting proof of this. Okay, on to the mail. I was cranky talking about NT, but mail makes me happy. Um, even though, you know, my mail is, has really slowed down since the, since the National, I did get one card in this week, um, and it was one I'd been keeping an eye out for. It was a 2020-2021 Elite Status Parallel of Pacers rookie Cassius Stanley, and it's number two out of two. I've talked about these parallels before. They've bounced around from product to product. Um, I want to say that they started off in Elite in 2012, then they bounced around to Donruss. Um, They were in the standalone status set in 2018. They went back to Elite last year, Um, although last year's version was not impressive to me at all. And I'm not equating the whole, you know, status parallel to 90s credentials, but they're the only thing that we've really gotten from Panini that mimics that same mirrored numbering pattern. And what that means is this, when you pair them with the corresponding aspirations parallel from the same product, the numbering adds up to 100. So the status version is is numbered to the player's jersey number, and aspirations is the remaining total needed to get to 100. So Pacers rookie Cassius Stanley's number two, meaning there would only be um, two copies of his status parallel. Well, then he has 98 copies of the aspirations, all adding to 100. Um, a player like Luca would have a lot more status copies. He'd have 77 because that's his jersey number. And then he would have 23 aspirations copies because they have to add up to 100. Um, I didn't have any nice Cassius Stanley cards from this season. And I wasn't going to buy any of the non-worn prop relics that I talked about earlier. So I wanted a nice card or two of him to take the place. Uh, I never got the Prism Gold. And um, so I decided that status parallel would be a fun chase. And I was just telling someone that collects the set the other day, I said, you know what, I'd love to find the two of two copy. Um, And he found it for me and he was gracious enough to send me the link and give me a shot at it first, even though he's trying to pick those up as well. So thank you to Instagram user Wade underscore Zoe. And this card is a lot nicer in hand than I thought it would be. They made the status parallel a die cut this year. And they used a great picture of Cassius from the dunk contest. If I don't get any other rookies of Cassius, I'll be very happy just owning this one. Uh, interestingly enough, though, the day I got the card in the mail, the Pacers pulled back their qualifying offer they had out for him and made him an unrestricted free agent. Um, it looks like they're trying to make some roster moves and, and likely needed a roster spot to do so. Regardless, I like to have at least one nice Pacers card for every player that played in a Pacers uniform, whether I like them or not. This is a good one. I'll make sure to show it off on my social media so you can see it for yourself. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast, and one of my goals is to always keep this show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, 
go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, so you just heard a segue from Slick Leonard. Today I want to talk to you about an event that he was present for that took place on November 19th of 2004. You can call it the Pacers-Pistons Brawl. You can call it the Melee in Detroit, uh, the Malice at the Palace, whatever you want to refer to it as. Slick was in the building and he was doing radio for the Pacers. And he and I talked about that a little during our conversation on episode 83. So make sure to check that out if you haven't. Um, And as a lot of you know, all sorts of brawl content has surfaced in the last week because of a new Netflix documentary called Untold Malice at the Palace. And a lot of people have been messaging me or posting, tagging me and things, asking for my thoughts. So first off, thank you because you guys know that you know, I'm a huge Pacers fan, that I collect some of those guys, so um, this was a pretty big deal to me. Um, so thank you, I appreciate that. Um, so I will say I was a little surprised at the length of the documentary when I saw that it was an hour and nine minutes, um, because I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that needs to be covered, and, and that's not going to be nearly enough time. Uh, and then on top of that, a lot of that time was spent giving background information And talking about some of the after effects. Um, And although those centered more around the main players involved and not the franchise, because, you know, we could, I could go on and on about how it affected the franchise. The organization was uh, impacted for at least a good six or seven years. Now, um, I've consumed a lot of brawl coverage over the years, and maybe the word, maybe the phrase a lot is an understatement. But um, there was a good, I remember an oral history that they did on Grantland around 2012. Um, I know Ron's Quiet Storm documentary from Showtime had a 20-minute brawl segment. And then some of the guys have been on various shows like uh, Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen. So a lot of the information was out there. The story has pretty much already been told, which, you know, the irony of the whole thing is that it's called Untold. Um, The perspective, though, was a little bit different. So I can see why they would call it that. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jermaine O'Neal produced this thing and he was made out to be more of a tragic victim at the end. Um, He definitely did pay a price for everything that happened. Um, But the way I remember things, a lot of people in Indiana had soured on Jermaine by the end of his Pacers tenure uh, and for a variety of reasons. The brawl was was not necessarily chief among those. Um, Now, I wasn't expecting all of the Reggie Miller stuff at the end. I guess it made perfect sense, but I, I wasn't really ready to see that again. His farewell's always been kind of hard to watch for me. I know, I don't know, I, I feel silly saying that or telling people that, but, you know, this was a guy that I grew up idolizing, and he was essentially being retired by the team that I loathed at the time. You know, of course, after all of this stuff, uh, all this horrible stuff that happened, Reggie gets beat by the Pistons and it ends his career. That um, did not sit well with me after all. It still, it still stings a little bit, but, uh, I'm sure I'll have a few more thoughts, but I, I'm going to mix them in as I go today. So, uh, as I mentioned on last week's episode, I'd been mulling over the idea of doing a brawl episode for this show beyond just talking about the documentary. So I made a poll on Instagram to see if people would be receptive to that. 
And about 85% of you responded yes. Um, one of my collector friends told me, if anyone makes Brawl content, it would be the most fitting coming from you. Which I, I took that as a compliment. You guys know I've been a Pacers fan all my life. I player collected Ron when the brawl happened. So I feel like that puts me in a pretty unique situation to weigh in. Um, like I said, 85% said yes. For the other 15% of you that voted, first off, thank you for your honesty. That's what I ask for. I'm not going to hold that against you. But I hope you stick with me today. I put a lot of thought into this episode. And I think it's on brand with any other content I'd put out on a weekly basis. Okay, so I, I do have to give a little of my background in order to make this work. So, in the fall of 2003, I was 16 years old, and my family moved from Indiana to Florida. I was in the middle of my high school years, and the timing just wasn't very good to me. Uh, it was not an easy transition, so I needed a distraction. And I had collected cards in the past, and it stopped around 2000. Um, still, I was watching a lot of Pacers games. That's something that my dad and I did. And I wanted to keep watching them. That was kind of a way that I could also, you know, stay connected back home. So I had mulled over the idea of collecting again. And uh, at the same time, there was this high schooler coming to the NBA named LeBron James that pretty much sealed the deal for me because there was some buzz around him. Uh, there was a lot of buzz around him. Um, and it was a good time to get back in. And I'm glad I experienced it. Those of you that were here in 2018 or 2019, hopefully you'll be able to say the same thing about Luca um, or Zion down the road. So um, aside from Reggie, Ron Artest was really my favorite pacer. And being 16, my hobby funds were very limited. So, you know, I didn't have the, the Zion case full of slabs then. So I decided, you know, I, I probably can't collect a lot of Reggie stuff. But if I collected Ron Artest... I could get a lot more cards and I could build a little bit bigger collection. So that's what I started doing. I started accumulating these Artest cards. I didn't have anything amazing, but I probably had 200 different cards. And that's, you know, base, inserts, relics, autos. Eventually I got a, a UD Ultimate 101, which I foolishly sold um, years later, which that was when I was upset with Ron. I'll get to that point later. I really wish I could have that card back, but... Um, I was very proud of my little collection, and it gave me a bit of an identity on the online forums. That was something else that I had jumped into. So, as you saw in the documentary, if you've seen that, or if not, you might know that Indiana was very good in 2003-2004. They won 61 regular season games. And Fleer actually did something pretty cool with the win totals in a product that came out after the end of the season... 2003-2004 um, Flair Final Edition had a relic card called Courtside Cuts um, Platinum Team Win Total Patch. That was numbered to the number of wins that the player's team had. So Reggie Miller and Jermaine O'Neal had patch cards in the set numbered to 61. I'm pretty sure I have both of those today. I know I have at least the Reggie. I'm pretty sure I have Jermaine as well. Um, but despite their success, you know, 61 games, despite their success in the regular season... They were eliminated by the Pistons in a pretty brutal series, and that rivalry really started to intensify. Um, along the way, there had been some subplots to the rivalry too. So, for example, coming into that season, Ben Wallace had won Defensive Player of the Year two times in a row. Well, then Ron won it in 2004, and that was exciting. And that was important for me as a Ron Artest collector because he, it meant he might be uh, included in some of the insert or relic sets as, as just like the stars. 
because he wasn't in 2003 Exquisite, not even as a base card. Um, and then aside from his Topps Jersey Edition Logo Man, he had only one prime patch that I know of, and that was numbered to 35, so I wasn't able to get my hands on that at the time. So um, he wasn't really in anything that was really cool that stood out to me. Well, winning Defensive Player of the Year, making the All-Star team, and then being on a team that won 61 games and made a deep run in the playoffs, that meant that things in the card world were about to change for me and for my PC player. So I was really excited. Uh, Now remember, 2004 was a completely different time, and I had just moved from Indiana to Florida. So following a team out of state was tough. Streaming games hadn't really become a thing yet, um, I, li- I Well, I streamed games, but it was online radio, and um, I was watching interactive box scores. I was reading forums, and then I tried to catch any national TV games that I could. That really wasn't good enough for me. I did one season of that. That wasn't going to cut it. So I did some digging online, and I heard about this thing called League Pass, where I could watch all the games from any market, and I begged my dad, Dad, I have to have this. You can make it my Christmas, you can make it my birthday, you can combine it, whatever. I have to have this. And truth be told, I think he wanted it too. So um, we signed up and we got it. P.S. We've had it every season since. So we've had, my dad and I have had NBA League Pass since 2004. Um, All of that is to say there was a lot of excitement for me headed into the 2004-2005 season between Uh, You know, the Pacers having a good season, Ron having a good season and getting more cards, and then my dad and I getting NBA League Pass. Um, I didn't even mention the acquisition of Steven Jackson. That was a big deal, too. So um, that season starts, and Ron is just absolutely killing it. Now, granted, he only played seven games, but he averaged almost 25 points per game on top of being the reigning defensive player of the year. Okay, And, and also 25 points per game in that era was um, a lot more impressive than it is now. The The pace of play was slow. If you saw one of those scores in the Brawl documentary, you'd see that there was a final score in the 60s. That's wild. That was a playoff game. There was some brutal, ugly basketball then, but it's nostalgic for me, so I like it. So um, Ron was playing both sides of the ball and doing so very well. And then on the card side... 2004-2005 tops came out pretty early and included a set called All-Star Support that had a dual All-Star Game relic of Ron and Ben Wallace, which had to be a little ironic later on, um, but I secured one of those for my collection, and I felt like I was off to a good start with new Ron cards for the season. You know, I wanted to try and stay on top of them and get them right when they came out. So, as I said, Ron was killing it, the Pacers were killing it. Um, And then this Pacers-Pistons game took place early in the season. It was on ESPN. I couldn't wait to watch it. There was one problem, though. I had already told a friend of mine that I would go to this concert at our church. It was was a guy, an artist named Jeremy Camp. Um, I I had some friends going, which is really the main reason. I, I only liked one of his songs. I wasn't too enthusiastic about the whole thing. It's kind of a social event. Um, so somewhere around halftime of the game, I convinced a friend of mine that the concert was stupid and we should go back to my parents' house and watch the end of this game. Uh, and then I think the plan from there is, is we were going to play Halo 2 after that because it had just come out like 10 days before. So, um, well, I don't think we ended up playing Halo that night. We did see the second half of the game, though. 
and the ensuing melee. And I'm not going to give my uh, reaction to that. I guess I could go through the, that would be a fun YouTube video, go through the, the video and go through all of that. Um, but uh, like anyone else that had watched it, I was just in complete shock. It was a little unnerving to see the player that I PC'd completely lose his composure and run up into the stands. Um, and remember, this was a guy I had invested a lot into. And I, I'm not talking about the monetary side, even though I, you know, I was, I didn't have a lot at the time and I was spending that money on Ron cards, but I'm talking more about time and energy. I was, I was making trades online for base and inserts. Um, and in the moment, you know, I, I really didn't get a chance to think about what would become of the rest of the season uh, or his cards in the hobby. But uh, regardless, Ron was still my guy. And in fact, the next day, I wore my Ron Artest jersey out in public, which was kind of weird in retrospect, but I was 16. We do a lot of dumb things when we're 16. Um, and a lot of people hadn't even heard of Ron prior to the fight. Well, when I wore that around, people knew who Ron Artest was. So um, another thing I remember about that next day the night after the brawl, the Pacers had another game against the Magic in Indianapolis. And as usual, my dad and I watched it on TV. Well, thanks to injuries and suspensions, the Pacers could only dress six players. So it was Fred Jones, Eddie Gill, David Harrison, James Jones, Austin Crozier, and John Edwards. Not an all-star lineup. Um, the starting five, they all played over 40 minutes. Fred Jones played the entire game. And he scored 31. So anytime I see a nice card of Fred Jones, I always think of that night. Fred is my guy. Um, and that team actually, that uh, they lost, the Pacers team lost by three points. But they got a standing ovation. I don't think I've ever been more proud of a Pacers team. It was a pretty incredible night, even with the loss. Um, but the real question, though, looming over everything in, in all of that feel-good moment was, what would become of my PC player? There really wasn't a similar incident to compare this to, uh, not one that escalated into a full-on riot, so it was hard telling how many games he'd end up sitting out. Well, as we know now, you know, it ended up being the rest of the season in the playoffs, and um, obviously I was really bummed out. You guys might remember a few weeks ago, I did an episode with Zach about uh, hobby message boards. Well, after the brawl, <laughs> I wrote a quote-unquote uh, article I use that term loosely here for sports card forum that summed up my thoughts and uh, it is still out there on the internet somewhere. So I went back and retrieved it and it was, you know, just for kicks. It was horrible, but I grabbed a couple of lines to share with you today. I'm just going to read them here real quick. Um, quote, personally, as a Pacers fan, I'm in disbelief when I first hear the suspensions. I've supported this team for so long Watched them through thick and thin, and now Stern ruins our season. Granted, it was the player's fault, but I don't think it was handled correctly. This will sure take the joy out of my first season with NBA League Pass on cable. I was deeply saddened by the events and suspensions, and I hope that things will only get better in the future. David Stern, you lost my respect today. End quote. Um, so that was Kyle at 16 years old. Um, so, But even then, though, I thought Stern's punishment was a little harsh, they mentioned that in the documentary, so maybe 16-year-old Kyle wasn't too far off. Um, I'm still cracked up about the fact that I was bummed out because they had just ruined my first year of league pass. You know, I told you that was a big deal to me. It really was. Um, now, what I would soon find out was that 
in addition to missing the rest of the season's games, Ron was going to get pulled from all of the card sets too. And I don't think there was ever any formal announcement where the card companies came out and say that. Um, but he, he wasn't there. I mean, he stopped showing up. If you look at some of the online checklists, they still aren't right. It looks like even um, like Bazooka was, was bound to come out not too long after. Um, he had a card number assigned for the set, but when you pull it up, he was replaced by Primos Brezage. So Ron, like I said, his cards were cut that year, which was, um, you know, it sucked as a Ron Artest collector when your guy gets suspended and then he doesn't get any cards either. It meant um, he didn't get a Pacers Exquisite card. He didn't get a Topps Chrome card, which was, you know, or at least for that year, which was my favorite year of Topps Chrome. He didn't get 04 Finest, which was the first iteration of, of Prism, in my opinion, because there were more than 10 parallels. You know, I didn't get to chase those. So um, I ran some numbers, and it's hard to get an exact count, but counting parallels, plates, and everything, he ended up with around 100 cards total for that season. And just for reference, I, I searched a few other players. Corey Maggetti had 265. Peja Stoyakovich had 441. Reggie Miller had 306, which I figured Reggie would have more than Peja, but, um, you know, that's if these online checklists are correct. So uh, when all of that happened, you know, I didn't have, I, I could still go back and try and get all the old R-Test cards that I didn't have, which I was actively doing. But if I wanted to collect anything from the new sets, I had to pivot. And I decided to collect David Harrison because he was the Pacers rookie that season. Some of you might remember him from episode 45. He was kind enough to come on this show and talk about his career. Um, you know, I mentioned that I'd collected him, but now maybe you can see why that was a pretty special moment for me. And um, I thought a lot about David when I was watching this documentary. Because at one point when they were talking with Reggie Miller, Reggie said something that stuck with me. He said, it cost a lot of people a lot of things. And um, they didn't mention him, but one of those people was David. He was all over the footage, and he was a pretty big part of the brawl story, and he had to go to court. He had to go through a lot of the same legal stuff as Ron and J.O. and Jack. Um, and this whole, whole ordeal, it cost him a lot. And when I talked to him, which, you know, I guess looking back, it'd be almost two years ago now, and I brought it up, you could still hear it in his voice. And I want to play a clip for you real quick. Leading into this clip, I asked David if he could somehow summarize or quantify how much that evening impacted him. So here's his response. It had worried me every day. You know, the legal battle, um, it, it scared me. I was, so I was young. I had no idea what's going on. And, you know, they're talking about trying to put us in jail on top of taking our money, you know. Um, it, it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fear, but, um, hindsight, I wish I would have, uh, talked more about it and sought out more help, um, than trying to internalize it because, um, it really kind of started a very kind of downward spiral, I would say for the next four years. Right. And that's not even something that NBA teams are really equipped to deal with either I, I, they, we had a, we had a really wonderful lady named kathy jordan that you could talk to um but it, i mean but yeah back then 
mental health and all those issues. I mean, you have players coming out saying I'm pressed and all that other stuff. I mean, I, I, I would say that I became very depressed during that time. Um, but that's the thing, like we're, we're, we're supposed to be supermen. We were not allowed to have those feelings, but now we can't, you know? Right. Yeah. Things have changed quite a bit yeah. as, as far as perceptions. Yeah. So there were some apologies and some players mentioned, but nothing about David, which was a little sad to me. Um, now going back to the quote though, Reggie said it cost a lot of people, a lot of things. And obviously Reggie was one of those people that paid a price and he ended up retiring at the end of that season. Um, when everything was winding down, there was one Reggie card that came out that absolutely floored me. I say it was a Reggie card, but there were nine other guys on it too. It was a fresh ink, five-on-five, five, Pacers Pistons patch card numbered to 10. There was also a jersey version, I believe, numbered to 199, and then a regular insert version, but the patch is the one that stood out to me. It had five... Pacers prime pieces on one side and five pistons on another. We really don't see stuff like that today, and it uh, most certainly wasn't something that um, you know was normal then. It was incredibly innovative. So the piston side of this card is just stacked. You got Chauncey, Tayshon, Rashid, Rip, and Ben Wallace, and then there's the Pacers side. As I mentioned, it's got Reggie Miller, which is awesome, and then it's Jamal Tinsley, Austin Crozier. Jonathan Bender, and David Harrison. Um, the initial sentiment from people was kind of like, you know, it's too bad the Pacers lineup on there is pretty weak. But in a way, I really liked it because it tells a story. I think it's safe to say there's a reason some Pacers were omitted from that card. And one of the reasons I collect is because I think cards are a great visual aid for history and it helps you kind of rehash things that have happened. Um, obviously, the NBA wasn't proud of the brawl, so we didn't get brawl-themed cards. You know, we have Panini Instant. Well, Tops has their version, Tops Now. If if that had been around, you know, it's not. They weren't going to make Ron Artest Pummel's fan or Jeff Foster wanders aimlessly in yellow polo cards. Um, so while there wasn't a card that formally recognized this event, the five-on-five patch came pretty close. And I was a junior in high school the first time I saw a copy on eBay. Well, I was just window shopping. I saved a picture of it on a folder on my computer. I think the, I think the folder was called Good Cards. And I figured I'd never see it again. Well, there is a happy ending, though, to that story. I picked one up in January of 2019. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. So at this point... You know, all of this has happened. Ron's suspended. Reggie retires. Ron's ready to come back. Um, I was ready to get some new Ron Artest cards, and I was ready to give him a second chance. And Fleer had gone bankrupt by this time, but there would still be plenty of stuff out between tops and upper deck, um, which we did. There were some Ron cards in the first half of the season, but as you saw in the documentary, Ron asked to be traded after all of that. After I ran around, you know, 16 years old in that in my Ron Artest jersey supporting him, after I collected him, after all the excitement. Um, there's a point in the documentary where Jermaine O'Neal flat out said, if he doesn't want to be here, we don't need him. I'm not going to talk about him. Um, you know, I was not a pacer. I understand that. This is not all about me. I understand that. But um, I was devastated. And I, I pretty much felt the same way. You know, it put a major damper on the Pacers season once again. 
and it put a major damper on my hobby. And uh, I've told my hobby history before and mentioned that I switched to baseball around this time. Well, this was a major factor. The other one being that I was going to minor league games and I could get cards signed. Um, but yeah, my, my favorite player on my favorite team asked to be traded away. And um, I didn't come back to basketball cards until around 2009 or 2010. Now, um, in some of the media surrounding the documentary, Jermaine has talked about how he's since reconciled with Ron. And the more that I got back into cards and collecting Pacers, I did too. It started with his nicer Pacers stuff. Um, Like, I got a Topps Jersey Edition logo, man. That was a card I, you know, just dreamed of back in 2004 and and now I own that card so I'm very happy to have that one so it started with nice pacer stuff and I picked up some some stuff from other teams as well you've probably seen it there's some rocket stuff some king stuff and uh, some Lakers stuff primarily I think I also have I do I have a 2013 prism gold of him in a Knicks uniform that wasn't very long um But the strangest twist in all of this after all of these years is is that I have what I call my secret Pistons collection. I call it a secret, but I think I've told enough people about it now that it's known. Um, 2005 me would hate 2021 me because I, I absolutely loathed the Pistons. I hated everything about them. They beat my team. Um, they won a championship. They retired my hero. They ruined my main PC. Um, but I guess now, you know, these days, I just want to collect something that I have a strong attachment to, even if it's good memories or bad memories. And I flip through my Pacers and my Pistons patches, and I think about those times, and it's nostalgic for me. It was an era of my life, and basketball was a huge part of it. So, you know, that's my story today. I, I know. You know, people didn't want to hear Brawl stuff rehashed, but that's my own version of Brawl history. And and hopefully, you know, my collecting story mixed in with that gave you something that you haven't heard from before. Um, You know, I have people ask me from time to time why I pick up certain cards. Maybe that will help me rationalize some of what I'm buying. Maybe, you know, you guys can understand it more. But I appreciate you listening today and and letting me share some of my collection and my world with you. Uh, There was a another part in the documentary that kind of hit me and it wasn't really anything profound but they spent all this time giving background and then they showed Ron rushing into the stands and I I guess the music got real intense um so for me you know everything that I just ran through in those last 20 minutes or whatever when that music hit and and their visual of Ron going up in there all of that stuff was spinning around in my head at at one time and um it was a shotgun blast of nostalgia, of good memories and also bad, but um, I'm glad I got to kind of relive all of that, and, and I'm glad I got to share it with you. So I figure some of you can relate to something I said on at least some level. If so, feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. You can find me on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed today's episode... I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's 
waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>